Now, for our scripture reading, we are going to study this morning the rest of Acts 19. But for the congregational reading, let us only read verse 1 to 7. May I request everyone to please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Acts 19, 1 to 7. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. But Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. May God bless the reading from His Holy Word. Please be seated. So good morning once again. It's a wonderful time for us to be gathered to study God's Word. I hope that your Bibles are open, your pens are ready, your sermon guide, because this is going to be a long journey. Today we will go to Ephesus. So this is part 19 of our study in the book of Acts. And the title of our message, The Movement is Powerfully Effective. Do you believe, brethren, that the gospel is powerful and effective? That's what we are going to talk about. And that title is based from verse 20 of this chapter in the New Living Translation. Notice what Luke said. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Can you imagine that? The Lord's word is spreading as the movement is spreading. If you remember as we are following the, the journey of St. Paul and his companions, they saturated Asia Minor with the gospel. They crossed the agency arrive in Europe, the continent of Europe, and now they're back. Now friends, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 18, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become what? A new person. The old is gone, a new life has begun. See, that's what the Bible says. And friends, you have to understand this, that when a person meets Jesus Christ and experiences the salvation of Christ, that person can never be the same again. We will notice that how do we know that we are truly affected by the gospel? Well, you will know because you will begin to have an appetite for the word of God, an appetite you don't had before. You begin to fear and honor God. You begin to avoid and resist temptation. You begin to just naturally do what is right, what is true, what is honorable. If you're a husband or a wife, 
you would cherish faithfulness and fidelity. These things happen, and you will, you will slowly lose the appetite for vices like smoking, drinking, and others. That's what it means to have Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You cannot be the same again. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and a follower of the devil at the same time. That's impossible. But so many people today are living that way, calling themselves Christians on Sunday, but totally a different person during the week. Friends, that's what I want us to see in this chapter, that as the gospel is spread all throughout Asia Minor, and today we go to Ephesus, it is powerfully effective. It's changing lives, right? Now, in verse 1, we are told that while Apollos, remember Apollos, the wannabe of Paul? He was left in Corinth doing the same ministry as Paul, expanding the kingdom of God in, in the continent of Europe. Now, Paul is in Ephesus, right? Now, let's just follow the, the journey. If you remember, from Corinth, Paul and, and the couple, you remember the couple? You know, Aquila and Priscilla, they crossed the agency back to Ephesus. He left the couple there. He went back to, to Antioch. You know, he went to Jerusalem, reported to the church there. And then he went to Antioch, his sending church. And after there, once again, as Paul's, you know, customary way of disciple making, he, he went back to the churches that he planted in Asia Minor strengthening them you know making sure that they are growing in the faith making sure that they are also doing the disciple making because that's what the church is all about disciple making so after going through the churches then paul went back to ephesus right he went back to ephesus and here he started the church now this is important because ephesus is a very important and key city in, in Asia Minor, right? Now, some of the famous places there that you can find, the Grand Theater, and the Bible tells us this is where Paul speaks the gospel, you know, with thousands as audience later on in his journey. And we find here also Celsius Library with 12,000 volumes of scrolls named after a senator by the name of Celsius, right? We have a dear brother here by the name of Celsus, okay? <laughs> Kuya, where are you, Kuya Celso? So this library is, was built from your name, okay? And of course, Ephesus is famous for the temple of Artemis. In the Roman mythology, he is known as Diana, right? The god, the goddess of fertility. And because of this temple, and by the way, this is world famous. This is the temple before it was destroyed. This is one of the seven wonders of the world. The temple of Diana, the temple of Artemis. And because of this temple, Ephesus has been a center for pilgrimages. And, as, and the same way as what the pagans would practice, you know, their celebration would involve what? So much immorality. Thousands of prostitutes are employed 
to welcome visitors, those who come to worship this goddess of fertility. And for them, they, they think that, you know, having all this lewd and nasty and dirty sex in the temple, it will make their, you know, their fields fertile. And, you know, that's, that's just the, the sad thing about Ephesus. But you know what? Ephesus plays a big role in, in the book, in the New Testament. You know, many letters were written to Ephesus. Like, of course, there's the letter of Paul to Ephesus. When Paul wrote First and Second Timothy, Timothy was in Ephesus. John, the apostle, became a pastor of Ephesus. Right? So it's like this became a, a thriving church you know, in Asia Minor, you know. So there's the church in Antioch, and then there's the, the church in Ephesus. But it's so sad that in the book of Revelation, Jesus wrote a letter to this church. And you know what? Jesus commended them for their, you know, theological fidelity. They're, they're so, you know, good with doctrines. You know, God praised them for their ministries. They care for others. But for one thing that's most important, they have lost their love, their first love. And, and, and Jesus reminded them, if you don't repent, you will be removed. And according to church history, the church in Ephesus was destroyed. There's no church there. A fact that reminds us that they haven't repented. Sad story, right? Very great church. Very good beginning, but very sad ending. So now we are going to study how the church in Ephesus started, right? Now, in this chapter, we will meet three groups of people that Paul met and we can say powerfully affected by the gospel. Three sets of people. That's how we can outline uh, this chapter. So let's begin with the first group, 12 men with incomplete passage incomplete passage and there are two things i want to talk here first we're going to talk about baptism and then evangelism first baptism as resolved by paul because they had the wrong baptism okay now what is baptism we always do baptism in our church and i hope that in this first part we will understand what baptism is all about. So those of you who are planning to get baptized this month, this will serve as your Baptism 101 class. All right, so this is in Ephesus. Paul is back in Ephesus, and I'm sure uh, Aquila and Priscilla were there with him. Now, he met some disciples. And by the way, the word disciple there, Mathetes, we have to understand it's a generic term. It doesn't always mean that a disciple is about Christians because you can be a disciple of John. You can be a disciple of some other rabbis, right? So it's a generic term, Matthias. He met disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? And they answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So clearly, these disciples were not what? They were not Christians, Yes, they were baptized. They, they knew about Jesus Christ the same way Apollos knew Jesus, but never had an experience, never had a personal relationship with 
Jesus Christ. They don't even know that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul explained, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. What's the meaning of that? Friends, John the Baptist is the last prophet of the Old Testament. All right? The baptism of, of John was for the Jews. He wasn't baptizing Gentiles. So the baptism of John the Baptist was still part of the Old Testament, of the old economy. All right? It is part, still part of the Mosaic Covenant. All right? And John the Baptist was simply preparing people for the one who will come. Now, that's the baptism that the Jews received through John the Baptist. It wasn't a baptism for believers, right? And so he told them, you know, he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, and that is Jesus. So these, these men, their, you know, their faith is incomplete. <laughs> Because they merely believe in the coming of Christ, but He already came. Yes. You know? In fact, during this time, Christ came and Christ already ascended. Right? And so their baptism is incomplete. In the same way that some of our baptisms today are incomplete. Like a lot of us say, well, I was baptized when I was a child. Well, that baptism is not believer's baptism. It's a baptism based on an erroneous theology that as a child you're baptized. But in the Bible, you don't find children baptized. You know why? Because one, one of the most crucial prerequisites to baptism is that you have faith in Jesus Christ, that you have publicly confessed. Remember, that you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is your Lord. That's, that's the prerequisite. And so their baptism was incomplete. If, if, if that's your case, brethren, then you are no better than these 12 men. If you were just baptized as a kid. Because baptism is different. So on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a classic example of what you call an Anabaptist. By the way, the word Baptist or Anabaptist, it means rebaptize. <laughs> right? Now, why do we have the Baptist, you know, tradition? Why, why do we, you know, the Catholics, it's the Catholics that coined them the Anabaptists. You know why? Because during the Reformation, you know, all, all the Catholics were baptized when they were kids. And then when, when the Protestant Reformation started and, and the Baptists were baptizing Catholics, and the Catholics say, why are you rebaptizing? These, these people were already baptized. And that's how you come, you know, that word Anabaptist came about. Anna means re. Alright? And that's biblical, by the way. Here Paul rebaptized these men. They were already baptized as adults by John, but Paul says, the meaning of your baptism is not the meaning of the baptism that Jesus Christ taught us. See? So when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, that's, that signifies that this is now the real baptism, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. By the way, this is not normative. This is only the third time that a group of believers 
you know, spoke in tongues. First is in Acts chapter 2. That's the first coming of the Spirit upon the church in Jerusalem. And then the second is in Acts chapter 10 on Cornelius and his family. And this is the last, and the, you know, the third and the last. You don't find any more people speaking in tongues as they were baptized. So this is non-normative. So don't say, Pastor, maybe my baptism was incomplete because I wasn't speaking in tongues, Pastor. <laughs> I did not prophesy. Don't worry. This, that's not normative, right? There, there is a reason that these people, it means that now they are part because these are, these are people who believe in, in the God of the Jews, but they have not confirmed their faith in Christ. So the Spirit came on them, they spoke in tongues to signify that they are now part of the church that Jesus Christ started in Acts chapter 2. Right? And this is not normative. In other words, you don't expect people to speak in tongues and prophesy every time they're baptized. If the Holy Spirit, you know, wills, then it can happen. But as, as far as this chapter is concerned and the rest of Acts, there were no other accounts of speaking in tongues. All right, so there's 12 of them. Now, pastor, how can their baptism be complete? Now, here's the complete passage to Christ. First, you have to hear the word, remember? You have to hear the word. These people, they heard the word, but they had a, an incomplete word. They only heard that the Messiah is coming, but they haven't received the Messiah. See? So it's like everyone else is believing in Christ, and these people were still waiting for Christ. But friends, listen, listen. It's never too late to come to Christ. Amen? Bahala glass trip. Basta front seat. See? This is already ch chapter 19. This is already the third missionary journey. And you still have this bunch of Jews waiting for the Messiah to come. And praise God, they're in Ephesus. Because Paul is in Ephesus. And the gospel is now being preached in Ephesus. They hear the word. And the second step, you have to believe Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the third, be baptized with water. See? That's how you complete your passage to Christ. Here, remember, faith comes from hearing. John 10, I mean, Romans 10, 17. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Be baptized in water. All right. Now, why be baptized? That's a question. Pastor, I already believe in Jesus. Do I have to be rebaptized? The answer is yes. I'm sorry. All right. Why? Number one, Okay? Because it's a command of Christ. Jesus commanded it. See? It's a command. If, if, you, if, you're, if you're going to be my, my follower, then you have to be baptized. He said to them, Go in all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be what? Will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. But notice that the baptism is not repeated. Meaning to say, it's not baptism that saves you. It's faith. Amen. See? Because it says there, whoever does not believe will be condemned. It doesn't say, whoever does not believe and not baptize will be condemned. 
But then you say, oh, if that's the case, Pastor, then I'll just believe. But then you sin because it's a command. See, it's a command. Now, second, why should a person be baptized? Because it's a confirmation of your faith. Baptism, you're confirming that my faith is genuine. See? And I always use the illustration of marriage. How do you know that a man is really in love and really loves you? Well, that man will say, will you marry me? All right? Without that, will you marry me? And without that, I do. Well, I tell you that love is just a casual love. There's no commitment. See? How do you know that a man and a woman are really committed to loving each other faithfully for life? You have to get married. There's, there should be a wedding. Friends, wedding is for a man and a woman in love. Baptism is for Jesus and you in love. It's your confirmation. Notice this in Acts 18. This is our lesson last Sunday. Crispus, if you remember Crispus, the synagogue leader, his entire household believed in the Lord. They all believed in the Lord. Many of the Corinthians heard Paul. They believed. And notice this. We're baptized. Why do they have to be baptized? Because it's a confirmation that this is a genuine faith. I want people to know. And by the way, that's why baptism needs to be a public thing. Pastor, can I be baptized? But I want this to be secret. <laughs> then it's the same thing as secret marriage. <laughs> See? The purpose is, is canceled. <laughs> See? Because you're supposed to confirm, you're supposed to tell people it's a profession, public profession that I am a follower of Christ and I am not ashamed of Christ. And I want people to know that I am a believer of Christ. Now, if you're still holding to be baptized, then maybe you're ashamed. Third, and this is important, because it's a new covenant sign and seal. In the Old Testament, how do you prove yourself that if you are a believer of the God of Moses, of Abraham, Isaac, and Moses? How do you confirm it? Through circumcision, right? That's how a person is being added into the covenant community. Now, in the Old Testament, it's circumcision. In the New Testament, it's baptism. All right? Notice this verse. Acts 2, 38 and 39. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And notice the next part. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you. That word promise, that signifies a seal and a sign. You will receive the promise and this is for you and your children and for all who fear all, far, far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So it's a sign that you are now a believer. At the same time, it serves as a seal. All right? The same way married couple has a seal of their marriage, the wedding ring. Your baptism, our baptism is our wedding ring. With Jesus. Amen? That's why it's important. Okay? And I would assume, Atiche, 
after this sermon, many, many will, you know, ask for their baptism. So we will not be, you know, we will not be surprised, <laughs> all right, in application. Amen? All right, convinced na mo? Are you convinced already? <laughs> all right, the second part. So, so Paul baptized them. And they are now part of the body of Christ. Notice verse 8 to 12. Evangelism reinforced by power. Evangelism reinforced by power. Notice verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue as, as usual, spoke boldly there. But take note, Luke tells us he stayed there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. The same word used in the previous chapter, dialog dialogmai. What's that? Dialogue. You know, there's question and answer. So this is basically, he's just doing small group sessions with them. You can ask him and he can answer you through the scripture. But this lasted for three months. So far, this is the longest time Paul stayed. Okay? Similar to Corinth, right? But some of them became obstinate. And by the way, I'd like to focus on that word obstinate because that word is where we get the word sclerosis. What is that word? Okay, hardening, anything, no? It could be hardening of the liver, heart, all right? Hardening, that's the word. <laughs> Obstinate. There is this hardening. And friends, the, the tense here is in the imperfect tense. And by the way, an imperfect tense doesn't mean that it is not perfect. Imperfect simply means that the action does not end. All right? It's a continuous thing. So in other words, people here were what? Continually hardening their hearts. See? And that's dangerous, friends. Because constant rejection of the gospel, you know, it starts slow. It starts very subtle. Just the same way you have a, you know, a hardening of your heart. It doesn't harden overnight. I'm sure we have doctors here to attest. See? It starts small, you know? It starts with you don't, you know, you don't like to hear the gospel. It starts with what? You're rejecting it. You know, you're bored with it. Until such time, your heart becomes so callous that you are beyond cure. Don't wait for that, brethren. See? When you're confronted with the gospel, receive it. Don't harden your heart. Don't cover your ears. Listen. If you're, if, if, if you're sleepy, you open your eyes. See? Don't allow Satan, you know, because this is for you. Amen? And these people in Ephesus, you know, these Jews, they become obstinate. You know, see? Constant rejection. Constant rejection. They refuse to believe. And notice this, and this is the sad part. They're not only resisting and rejecting the word, but notice this, they publicly malign the word. The way, rather. Of course, that's, that's how they called the church during the time, the way. Because, you know, the Christians were always connected with Jesus, who is what? The way, the only way to heaven. They, they malign. And we know this. This is happening. This is not just something 2,000 years ago, brethren. This is really, really happening in the world today. People 
are hardening their hearts to Jesus. More and more people are becoming agnostics and atheists and saying all sorts of, of you know, maligning the Word and the Bible. But I tell you, I tell you, it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not because it's true. And one day, every one of us will have to face Jesus Christ on His judgment seat. See? And all our rejection, all our disobedience will have to be what? Paid. Everything will have to be paid. That is why if you come to Jesus today, let Him pay it in advance. Because He died for your sins and my sins. See, that's the good news. When we believe in Jesus today, He already paid. But if we refuse Him and then He comes and Judgment Day will arrive, friends, you will have to pay every single sin that we have committed for our whole life. And it's going to be too late to call Him Jesus and Lord. Because the next time He's coming, He's going to be judged. No longer a Savior. So what did Paul do? He left them. See? He could not waste his time, his precious time. Remember, this is old Paul already. This is in his third missionary journey. After this journey, you know his next stop? Rome. And Rome, he will die. See? So he's old Paul and he could not waste his time. And so he has to leave that people there. He took the disciples. So those those few disciples who were willing to listen and do Bible study, he, he took them. And notice this, he had discussions daily, take note, daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So Tyrannus probably was a known teacher and he has his hall and this hall, you know, he used this in the morning, but then there are times that the place is empty and that's where Paul would go and does his Bible study there. And even some manuscript tells us the time from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. daily. That's five hours a day. And you know, that, that went on for how many years? <laughs> Two years. Friends, that's exactly 3,650 hours of Bible study in Ephesus. See? Two years. Two years of Bible study. And so now here we have some idea. How do you do Bible study? How do you do discipleship? Well, you don't have a discipleship for just three months. It took Paul two years. And notice the result. Notice the result of this two years of disciple making. So that all the Jews, take note, all the Jews and the Greeks who live in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. It did not say everyone believed. They all were given. So Paul, when he leaves that place, he would say, Lord, if, if you're going to judge these people, I am innocent because I have not failed to share to them the gospel. Two years. And of course, it's not just Paul. His disciples were also telling the good news. For two years, it's saturated. No wonder, brethren, that as a result of these two years, six more churches were added. And that constitutes the seven churches in 
the book of Revelation in Asia Minor. So, so now we understand why there's a church in, you know, what's the other church? In Smyrna, all right, Philadelphia. I was talking with Ati Susan a while ago, and Ati Susan said, Pastor, I've been to Izmir. Izmir, that's the, that's, the, that's the place called Smyrna in the Bible, Izmir, right? In Pergamum, there's a church in Thyatira, there's a church in Laodicea, Philadelphia, all this. Why these churches were birthed? Now we understand because of these two years disciple-making of Paul. All right? Now, aside from the seven churches, there's also the, the church in Colossae. That's part of, of Asia Minor. See? Two years of church planting. And friends, it's not just that way, you know? So, so in, in, in Acts 20, verse 30, Paul said this when he was saying goodbye to the church in Ephesus. And by the way, of all the churches that Paul planted, it's like church in Ephesus became so dear to him that this is the church that he really cried when he left. That's why you will have a longer chapter. You have chapter 19 and 20 all about Ephesus. See? So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you. Take note. Night and day with tears. I don't know. Paul became so personal in Ephesus. He stayed there the longest, three years. So, so first year, he was in the synagogue, two years in the hall of Tyrannus. All in all, three years. And he says, I did it night and day with tears. Friends, that's how Paul was so passionate. Are we having tears for the salvation of others? Have we come to the point of really crying out to God with tears? Lord, can you save these people? Can you save my loved one? Friends, those tears are not in vain. Because God is a God of salvation. Amen? When you ask God to save something, and if something at the very center of the will of God, God will never say no. If, it's, if it means his nature, because the nature of God is really saving. All right, look at 11 to 12. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. All right, now let me correct. Now this, this is where you have this, this traveling evangelist, you know, selling handkerchiefs. This is where they get it. Now you have to understand, this is not Paul and the church doing. <laughs> not even the Holy Spirit night. Okay? The people there are so superstitious. Alright? So they're, they're incorporating their superstitious beliefs with the power that Paul had. So in other words, these were not some things that, you know, Paul was used to doing. Okay, give me your... No, 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 no. The idea there is this, people did it on their own because of their superstitious beliefs, all right? But nonetheless, despite that, God used it for His purpose. That's why people were still healed despite the wrong practice because this practice was never tolerated by the church, all right? So Luke was merely writing that this was happening there. 
Paul and the apostles did not allow these things. You see? So here, you are, you're seeing here that Luke is merely telling us what's going on. That, that the evangelism of Paul was really what? Reinforced by power. Alright? You have to understand that this city of Ephesus is what? Is, 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 is a, a bedrock of so much what? Occultism. You know, so much mysticism. So much forces of evil going on. And that God has to prove to these people that God, the God of Paul, is powerful. He can heal the sick. He can cast out demons. And, and this is going on for three years while Paul was preaching. And by the way, the word for handkerchief here literally means filthy cloth. You know, those... those Okay, sato apana kanang good morning towel. Okay? So, of course, you know Paul, he has to work day and night, so he's sweating. And, 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 and historians are saying this that these people, superstitious belief, they would actually steal the filthy cloth of Paul and bring it home. And despite, despite their superstitious belief, it was reinforcing the gospel. All right, that's the point. So that these people will really know that what Paul is preaching and the Jesus that Paul is preaching is truly from heaven. Amen? Now that leads us to the second group of people. All right? The seven men with inadequate power. So we're done with the 12 men with incomplete. They are now complete. Now, I want, I want just to bridge. So what happened is this. Power of the gospel is radiating all throughout the city. See? It's causing some, you know, it's causing some effects. It's causing, you know, it's stirring the, the, the city. People are getting healed. See? People are being freed from evil spirits. You have to understand that Ephesus is a bedrock of evil spirits. Because you have here the center, the capital, you know, worship of Artemis, you know, the goddess of fertility. So you, you're talking here of massive infestation of demonic spirits in this city. And you know what? There are cities like that. So the demons are, are reacting because of the presence of the gospel. Amen? The church is there, and you find here there's a spiritual warfare going on. Because the presence of the gospel is there, Jesus is there, but then it's, it's, it's causing some trouble in the, the, the evil forces of Satan. And so, we have seven men here with inadequate power. Right? So first, we'll talk about exorcism. Okay, what do you mean by Exorcism. It's, a, it's biblical. Jesus did exercise a lot of evil spirits when he was here. It is casting out demons from people. Remember, demons would inhabit people. They would look for a host, a host body, so that they can continue their demonic activities. All right? So I said, Ephesus is infestated with demons and spirits. So that's why part of the ministry of Paul is not just healing the sick, but casting out demons. Now notice what happened here. All right? 
some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. Now, who are these Jewish, you know, going around? These are itinerant Jewish exorcists. And by the way, they are not real exorcists. They are just doing it for money. If, if you remember Simon, you know, back in the previous chapters, he's a magician and he, now he finds, you know, Paul and Barnabas. He tries to copy. And so these itinerant Jews who are making money, supposedly exercising evil spirit, they found that the ways of Paul and the disciples were so easy. You know, for them, they have to cook so many things. They have to get the liver, the gizzard of some animals. They have to get all this spice. In other words, they have to concoct all sorts of medicines. That's witchcraft, by the way. See? Witchcraft. But then, for Paul, they would simply say, in the name of Jesus, get out. And that's it. Evil spirit will obey. And so what they tried to do is, wow, there's this new, new method, just invoking the name of Jesus. So they try that. In the name of Jesus, get out. Now, we'll see if that works. So they thought that that phrase, in the name of Jesus, and can you imagine it if they said it in Latin? See? Cum summatum in Christum. And then they thought, wow, it's powerful. <laughs> see? Now, what happened? They would say, in the name of Jesus, some Paul preached, I command you to come out. Now, the question is that, will this work? See, they're just, they're just copying. <laughs> they thought this is a new gimmick, you know? You know, they're losing their business because, you know, they're asking for money and, and Paul and the rest of the Christians were doing this for free. See, are you seeing the picture here? It's like, there's competition in the city over what? How to cast out demons. So seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. So this is a family business. <laughs> you know? It's a family business of, you know, when there are evil spirits there, people would go to them because they're like the doctors for this. And this is what they did. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who are you? This is the funny part. See? Who are you? Friends, this tells us that, you know, even in the gospel, remember, in the gospels, when demons see Jesus Christ, they easily, what? They tremble. They recognize Jesus Christ. I've been telling you, you know, demons are better than atheists. Because demons recognize that Jesus is Lord. Atheists, they deny Him. See? These demons, they would shriek and they would tremble because they're afraid of Jesus Christ. And friends, it's not just Jesus Christ. Anyone connected to Jesus Christ, the, de the demons recognize. See? It's not just about invoking a name. It's about having an intimate relationship with Christ. That's why these demons say, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who are you? This means that you cannot just use the name of Jesus Christ without having a relationship to that name. Amen? There is no power in invoking that name unless there's faith in that name. 
You have to have faith in Jesus. You have to have relationship with Jesus so that the power of Jesus, the authority of Jesus Christ can also be yours. And so this itinerant Jewish, you know, exorcist, they're using the name of Jesus Christ, but the, the demons don't believe it. You know, they don't see Jesus in their lives, see? That, that tells us, brethren, demons can smell if you're truly born again or not. See? So be careful. Be careful for living a life as if you're a Christian, but you're not. All right? It's never too late. Go back to your knees and say, Lord, I want to be saved. Please forgive me of all my sins. You see? Because one of these days, you might bump yourself into a demon. And, and you know, you're confident. You know, I am a Christian. Notice what happened to this, to this man. All right? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Can you imagine? It's so embarrassing if this happens to you and to me. Diba? Imbisila ang ninkas out. Sila nangikas out. See? Demons will never obey you if you don't have relationship with Christ. That's why it's important we go back, hear the gospel, believe Jesus Christ, and be baptized. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples, Luke 19.10, I have given you authority. Notice that word, exousia, authority to trample down on snakes and scorpions and to overcome, take note, not some, all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. That authority is not given just to anyone. It's given to those who become disciples of Christ, followers of Christ, born again believers only. All right? Now, what's the result of this? Because the power of the gospel is affecting the city. See, demons are trembling. Demons are coming out. Notice this. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all sized with what? Fear, see? And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. You know, I like the Greek word for that, megaluno. Mega, it means the name of Jesus was magnified. See? Why was the name of Jesus magnified? It's not just because of, you know, because of what they heard. They've seen the manifestations of the power of that name. Why? Because when you meet that name, when you have that name personally in your life, it will not, it will not hold you the same person. It will change you. And the changed lives of these people in Ephesus, you know, became what? The testimony to everyone that this is not just, a, you know, this is not just some name. There are... The name Jesus is, is a common name, by the way. You know, it means God saves. Yeshua. But this Jesus that these Christians are preaching, it's a different name. That's why His name is held in Megaluno. See? Magnified. People magnify His name because of what they have seen. Alright? And as a result of that, as a result of that, so we're done with exorcism. They're, they tried to copy exorcism. Let's go to another word, occultism. What is occultism, by the way? 
Occultism renounced by proselytes. By the way, what do you mean by proselytes? Proselytes converts. So many got converted in Ephesus. So what is occultism, friends? What is occultism? Occultism is basically what? A false religion? It's a belief in what? In witchcraft. Kanang mga quack doctor. That's part of occultism. What else? Horoscope. Kisamitig horoscope dere. See? Uh, what else? Uh, ast astrology. You know? A lot of people are saying, yeah, well, I'm a Libra. You are a one. We're compatible. See? That's witchcraft. That's occultism. And what does the Bible say? Now, I have, I have to preach this so that once and for all, people will understand that if you're a Christian, you should not get involved in all these things. Notice Deuteronomy 18. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, Notice what God says. Do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. He's talking about the nations in Cana. You know, these nations are infested with all sorts of, you know, occultism. Now, what's going on there? Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son and daughter in the fire. See? That's, that's what these nations practice. In fact, if, if you go to the history of the kings, some kings sacrificed their own children, sons and daughters, so that the gods will give favor on them. See? Who practices divination. What are those divination spells? Alright? Pastor, spell nga lang, in love na ako, ako'y crush. That's divination, alright? Sorcery. Okay. Interprets omens. Mga horoscope. Mana. Engages in witchcraft. Or cast spells. Or is a medium or spiritist or who consoles the dead. Alright? Who consoles the dead? Necromancy. See? Necro means dead. You know, it means you 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 talk to the dead. So ayo na mo anang na wala ang among title sa land atong pangutan-on si Lula. Diba? Have you, some people tried that. Muad to taanin niya. Lula, asa guni mo gibutang ang title? Mag-away imong mga anak. Diba? <laughs> if you're a believer, don't do that. <laughs> Alright? You know what God says? Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord because of the same detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out these nations before you. That's the reason why God destroys the nations in Cana. Why? Because they were all practicing all sorts of evil and demonic practices. Alright? And going back to Ephesus, you know what happened? When, when, when they saw that the, the gospel was powerfully affecting so many lives, Demons were cast out. You know what? The Bible says, many of those who believe now came and openly confessed what they had done. Now, what's the idea here? They already believed, but they kept, see? They already believed, but they still kept their icons, their amulets, their good luck charms. See? They were still keeping this. And they were saying, Okay, Ramani. See? They were still keeping it. But now that they realize that demonic forces are, are, are so connected with items, see? 
They openly confessed what they had done. And notice this, a number who had practiced sorcery and brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to be what? 50,000 drachmas or 50,000 shekels. Can you imagine, friends, the cost? That tells us how infested Ephesus was with all sorts of demonic activities. That people there, it's like people there were all practicing. They all have this sort of mysticism, occultism in their homes. Nay mga habak. Alright, if some of you still wear this habak, burn them now. See? Because you have to understand, there's a, there's a principle taught here. There's a principle taught here. See? Satan usually connects with something in your life. It can be an icon, a book. See? If these things are in your house, pornographic books, sunuga. I remember many years ago when I was handling uh, men's Bible study and we were studying this chapter and, you know, we were burning what? Not magic spells, but burning mga Playboy magazines and all sorts of things. See? Because as long as these things are in your cabinet, yes. Satan has something to visit. Listen, listen, this is true. That's what's happening here. They have to burn them so that there's no link connection whatsoever with demonic activities. So whatever is there, napas inyong balay, karon, don't think twice. Destroy them. Destroy them. Because Satan has some links. No wonder See? Because maybe you're still wearing them. See? You're still wearing them. Idolatry, immorality. So what happened here? They were all burned. Okay? They were all burned. And as a result, notice this. And this is where we got the title. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. You see? Friends, when Jesus Christ dominates, listen, when Jesus Christ dominates, Satan's activities dissipates. See? When Jesus and his gospel dominates in your home, see, you are, you are cleansing your home. So I want you to go back as an application of this chapter. Go back to your homes. Check whatever residues of your old life See? That's what's happening here. Any residue of your old life connected with any bad things you've been doing in the past, get rid of them. So that there's nothing Satan can visit in your homes. Amen? And like to close with the third. Okay, I have to quick, be quick on this. We're running out of time. So we, we've, we've heard the 12 men with incomplete passage, the seven men with incomplete inadequate powers they don't have real powers but here in in verses 23 to 41 a mob with indignant plot you see because of the gospel it's stirring the whole city a city that is dominated with what witchcraft idolatry immorality can you just imagine because of the gospels a lot of these brothels are now closing 
Can you imagine those stores that sells amulets, those stores that sells mga habak, mga pawa sa buyag? Wala na malit. See? And by the way, there's so many. See? This is so sad because they are selling all these things even on the sides of the church. All this mga kuan, na i sold ni si mong anak para di na siya buyagan. All these things. See? So it's causing what? The business is going down. And notice what happened here. Paganism rallied by people. They are still rallying for paganism. Look at verse 23 to 34. Paganism rallied by people. Alright? About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. There's a disturbance. Why? A silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis. That's his business. So, dako man si Artemis, no? So, naghimos lang mga versions. So, all sorts of sizes. Maybe all sorts of colors. And then, you know, tourists would come and would buy these icons. Alright? Now, what happened? It's bad to their business. <laughs> because less people now are having, you know, this in their homes. They are no longer buying. By the way, that's the picture of, of the goddess Artemis. You know? She's a weird-looking goddess, a goddess with so many breasts. Fertility. See? And again, what's being done in the temple? Sex. All sorts of, you know, bad sex. He called them together along with the workers in related trade, said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. They're making business with their occultism, paganism. And what happened now? And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus. And in, pra in practically the whole province of Asia. Friends, this is coming from a pagan businessman. So he's telling us that the effects of the church is not just in Ephesus. You know, it's spreading all over Turkey. He says that the gods made by human hands are not gods at all. <laughs> He's talking about Paul's message. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. You see now what's happening? It's affecting the religious system. Friends, when more and more people are coming to Christ, bad business will really turn out to become worse. <laughs> they, are, they, are, they are now reacting. See? Friends, when you come to Christ, even your business partners will react. <laughs> when you come to Christ, you will no longer be popular or maybe you're popular in a different way. See? You will no longer be accepted. See? Because you are now different. You no longer hang out with them. You no longer speak their language. You no longer do corruption. See? That's what's happening here. People are complaining. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. See? They are rallying their paganism. Soon, the whole city was in uproar. The people seized Gaius. And Aristarchus, you know Gaius, we met him last chapter. 
Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rush into the theater together. Now, that's the theater I, so, I show you. The great theater in Ephesus. So they brought them there. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. This is not yet the right time, Paul. So they were keeping Paul. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. So now we see that in Ephesus, Paul is gaining influence even in what? In leadership, you know, positions in the government. All right? The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people, this is so funny, most of the people did not even know why they were there. See? Something like our protest here. Nganong naama mo? Saan yung posisyon? Ambot lang, gipari raman mi. Gitagaan raman mi kwarta, ingon nga panhiyon mi dere. Sagit-sagit lang po mi. See? It's not something you. Okay, the Ephesians were also doing that. Alright? The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front and they shouted instructions to him. He motions for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So that's an example of anti-Semitism again. He's not one of us. Alright? So they were all rallying for paganism. Now, friends, what do we find here? Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Take note, not money. Love for money. Not money. Love for money. And that's the whole thing, why this crowd is rioting. Because their love for money. See? They're making money with all their bad businesses. Brethren, listen, if you're a businessman, listen. If you're a businessman listening, listening to this message, if your business is totally against the standards of the Bible, then let me advise you, stop that business. Start to diversify. Don't have a business that is against the will of God. See? It's so hard for you to improve your life, build your houses based on a business that God is not happy. Amen? And then to close, Christianism, relieved by providence. Again, providence, the sovereignty of God. Notice this, the city clerk, by the way, city clerk, it's a mayor. You know, for us, it's a mayor. Okay? But since they're part of the Roman province, the city clerk quieted the crowd and said, fellow officials, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? And by the way, that is historical because according to tradition, this, this image of, of Artemis, this icon, is really made from a meteorite that fell. So they thought it's powerful. That's, they, they made it into the god Artemis. Right? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to come down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though, take note, this is important, they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our gods. Now, this is important, brethren, because sometimes unbelievers hate us, all right, for the right reason. Sometimes 
you know, unbelievers hate us because we make fun. See? We are, we are in other words, we are doing something that will cause unnecessary anger. Now, notice what Paul did and the rest of the Christians. They were not destroying the idols in the city. They were not even, they, they were not even telling people to destroy. See? They were merely preaching the gospel and it's up to people to do their part. See? And this is true. They have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our gods. Alright? That's why we are told by Paul in Colossians, walk in wisdom towards what? Outsiders making the best use of your time. You see? Sometimes unbelievers hate us because we are giving them reasons to hate us. They should hate us for the good things we have done. Not when we are bad, we are mean, we are harsh. See? And the Bible says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I remember many years ago when I was still young, you know, I was invited to hold a Bible study in office. And you know, at first, the office mates there, they were, it's like they were critical of me as if they already knew what I'm about to say. But you know what? When I started the Bible study and I never touched about their idols or all these things, they were surprised. And they told me, Pastor, you're not like the others you know, who's there to attack us. I don't do that. I just preach the gospel and let the power of the gospel open your eyes to the truth. See? I don't attack people. We don't attack people, no? And that's what Paul did in the city. And the, the city clerk knew that. See, they're saying, why are we doing this? They're not attacking our God. See? Those people who destroy their icons, they are the, you know, themselves, the, the, the previous idolaters who are now believers. They were not commanded by Paul to do that. See, if then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there is anything farther you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what's happening today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this com commotion since there is no reason for it. Alright? Friends, what's happening? What's happening is this. God, you know, relieved the Christians at that time. Okay? And God can even use a pagan city clerk to relieve them. Why? Because we believe in this principle that God is causing what? Everything to work together for the good of those who love Him. In other words, God is saying, See, this is not yet the right time you know, for the church to be persecuted in the city. I want Ephesus to thrive with Christianity. And so God was even using a pagan ruler, you know, to protect his church. That's what's happening here. And that's a very important, brethren, that in everything that we do, we have to understand that God is perfectly in control. Okay? The church doesn't have to do anything at that time. The church doesn't, even Paul and the Christians, they don't have to defend themselves, see? They were not even asked to defend. God himself defended his church, even using pagan authorities. 
because that's our God. Now let me close with this, brethren. God is giving us the gospel. The gospel is effective. It can change lives. So what must we do with this gospel today? Let me end with Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is what? Take note, the power. See? It is the dunamis of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Brethren, if you want your friends, your families, your workplace, your neighborhood, if you want them to be powerfully affected with the gospel, then don't be ashamed of the gospel. In fact, share the gospel, leave the gospel, show the gospel to them. That's the most important thing we can do to this world, leading them to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name for giving us Jesus Christ. He is the gospel. By believing in Jesus Christ, we are saved. And we are not just saved from hell. We are transformed into glory. May the transformation be evident in our lives today, Lord, so that when they see us, they see us as new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Prepare us now, Lord, to receive the sacrament of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.